Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The views and opinions expressed on the following program are those of the host and guests and do not necessarily represent those of any organization, including One Generation Away. The freedom of a people to choose its leaders is the root of liberty. Keep alive this experiment in liberty. Liberty, in case you've forgotten, is the soul's right to breathe. Government should be very minimal in protecting liberty. Peace cannot be purchased at the cost of liberty. The sturdy ground of liberty. Liberty once lost is lost forever. Fight for their liberty and for our security. Guarantees individual liberty. This great republic born alone in liberty. 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 Just how much do you want liberty? This is Liberty Nation with Tim Donner. Cutting through the double talk, taking on the topics, going after what the politicians really mean, and making it all clear. For your freedom and your liberty, Liberty Nation with Tim Donner. And welcome back into Liberty Nation as campus unrest sweeps the land. Today we will ask and hopefully answer the question... Has Barack Obama achieved his goal, his promise, the fundamental transformation of America? We'll look at that question from many angles, what the students are protesting and what they're demanding. Ash Scow of the Washington Examiner will join us to discuss her piece entitled The Coming Campus Revolution. And we'll talk about the constitutional issues in play here with constitutional lawyer Scott Cosenza, of one generation away. Plus, in our Say What segment, Donald Trump goes scorched earth on his closest competitor to date, Ben Carson. And we'll talk a bit about another Republican debate this week and a food fight between two conservatives on Fox News. But we start today with the defining words of Barack Obama, the words that best describe his far-reaching vision. The fundamental transformation of America. That is what Barack Obama promised just five days before the 2008 election. And this week, the effect of seven years of the Obama presidency may have taken full root with the spectacles occurring on college campuses, two in particular, which to many, myself included, represent the fruition, the pinnacle, the apex, proof positive that the fundamental transformation of America from a constitutional republic to a European-style social democracy is all but complete. And if you think about it, why wouldn't it be after seven years of the most left-wing president in American history, a government growing in size and scope by the day, a media who's had Obama's back from the word go, And as we saw vividly this week, campus cultures increasingly designed to indoctrinate the rising generations into their leftist worldview, their way where indoctrination replaces education, speech codes replace free speech, political correctness replaces critical thinking. A free press is honored only if it helps the cause. 
The right to never be offended or even challenged becomes a de facto amendment to the U.S. Constitution. A growing chorus of students demanding that everything be paid for by the government or more precisely by the 1%, free college for everyone, student loans canceled for everyone, 15 bucks an hour minimum wage for the oppressed workers of the world, or at least the United States, consider it reparations for the years of oppression by the man, and campus administrators shrinking into pathetic figureheads capitulating to the demands of those seeking victimhood status. Yeah, it seems like that all kind of crystallized this week, didn't it? And the whole narrative started at Yale, considered one of the one of the top five institutions of higher learning in the nation, if not the world. Now, a letter was sent to students instructing them on what Halloween outfits were appropriate and which weren't, which ones might offend one or more persons. Some students didn't didn't like being told what costumes they could wear, so Professor Nicholas Christakis and his wife Erica composed an email which read in part, When I was young, adults were freaked out by the specter of Halloween candy poisoned by lunatics or spiked with razor blades, despite the absence of a single recorded case of such an event. Now we've grown to fear the sugary candy itself, and this year we seem afraid that college students are unable to decide how to dress themselves on Halloween. If you don't like a costume someone is wearing, look away or tell them you're offended. Talk to each other, the email said. Free speech and the ability to tolerate offense are the hallmarks of a free and open society. Well, hundreds of Yale students are now trying to get the couple removed from their home on campus. They've been attacking them using insults, epithets, and a campaign of, of public shaming. How dare they defend something that offends us? Instead of making the counter-argument, these students want to shut down the discussion and have the people punished. At the University of Missouri, a succession of allegedly racially charged incidents led to protests all over the campus and the football team threatening to boycott their next game, some of it at least based on flat-out lies. Three examples. Missouri student president published and then was forced to retract a Facebook post informing students that the Ku Klux Klan was on campus and later complained that she was sick and tired of hearing about freedom of speech. We'll play you that soundbite a bit later, by the way. All of this designed to advance the narrative of a student body and by extension a nation plagued by racial oppression and injustice based on a lie. Another one, a student claimed in Facebook in a Facebook post that a fraternity party she tried to attend was white girls only. She later told a different story, and other people who attended the party said there were black students in attendance. Another lie. Another myth perpetrated by the radicals on campus is that there was a swastika made of human excrement in a dorm on campus, no evidence that that actually existed, but to those people, the truth doesn't matter. It's all about anything that can advance their argument, true or not. Just like down the road a piece from Mizzou in Ferguson, where hands up, don't shoot became a mantra, even after it was proven to be entirely untrue.
And then there's the cowardly university president in Missouri shaking in his boots enough to resign rather than take any action against the insurgency by campus radicals. And then some media outlets trying to cover the story on public property being roughed up and intimidated and threatened by students and a member of the faculty. And now this is all spreading like wildfire. Students at Ithaca College in New York and at Yale and at Vanderbilt were also calling to fire administrators. The president of Vanderbilt's crime, by the way, was apparently making some insensitive comments about Islam. And even more campuses were pledging solidarity with the burgeoning social justice movement. As many as 20 other campuses around the country with protest marches of their own. These people want forced, engineered diversity in matters of race and gender and ethnicity and sexual orientation, but not diversity of thought. We can't have that. I mean, they want everyone else to pay for their education and cancel all their debts and guarantee 15 bucks an hour minimum wage so they can unite with the workers of the world. They want unquestioning respect for Islam while demonizing Christianity. It's their way or the highway. Their way is not subject to debate. Much like climate change, settled science, their way is settled thought. Theirs is the only way you're allowed to think, or at the very least, the only way you're allowed to express yourself, leading to a nation of people who no longer say what they mean nor mean what they say for fear of public shaming and retribution. Now, you might say, isn't this what it was like in the 60s when campuses all over the country blew up with student protests? Well, actually, no. Those protests were all about more free speech. These are about less free speech. The 60s protests were all about freedom of speech. These are all about suppressing free speech and free thought. And you know what this is, folks? You know what this is? This is McCarthyism. People being demonized and shamed and punished for daring to think independently and holding views contrary to their own. Radicals making stuff up to shame those who dare to dissent. Abided and supported by campus regimes who lend new meaning to the word coward. Yes, the fundamental transformation of America was there for all to see these last days. Obama's vision of an America fundamentally transformed. He promised it, and folks, it looks like he's delivered. And after a quick break, we'll dig a bit deeper into this when we're joined by Ash Scow of the Washington Examiner, writer of a piece this week entitled The Coming Campus Revolution. And later on, constitutional lawyer Scott Cosenza, one generation away, will discuss the constitutional issues at play in these campus uprisings. First, a reminder that the podcast of Liberty Nation is available from iTunes and other fine podcast providers. We'll be back. Liberty Nation with Tim Donner. today has been a political spectacle. We elect these guys to run the country. They're just not doing their job. This is Liberty Nation with Tim Donner. 
we may be seeing the beginnings of a full-blown campus revolution. Not a revolution based on actual oppression, but a revolution stemming from perceived oppression and a desire to attain victimhood status. Those words written this week in a column entitled The Coming Campus Revolution by the woman who joins us now, Ash Scow of the Washington Examiner, writing on the consequences of the student uprising at the University of Missouri. Ms. Scow, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Now, let me start by asking you, Uh, about the questions of whether these students have any legitimate claims. The website Slate reports that there were a series of racist incidents against black students, including the president of the student association there, who he said uh, who said he was walking through campus when someone repeatedly screamed the N word at him, that a group of black students rehearsing for a part in the homecoming parade were harassed by an intoxicated man yelling racial slurs. There was supposedly an incident where campus police broke up a small demonstration against the school's president, plus the reported discovery of a swastika drawn with human feces on a dorm wall. Do we have any proof that these things happened? And if so, do these students have a legitimate point? Well, the swastika um, was actually called in. There was uh, there's photos of it have been released. It's actually absolutely disgusting, um, not even from the the racism standpoint, but just the fact that there's there was a student on this campus that did that. You know, I mean, like, that seems honestly to me um, the bigger problem, that you have a student that is willing to uh, make the image with that particular material. So, I mean, I, I mean, and, and you're not sure whether who the student was, whether whether he was even white at this point. I mean, we're we're not even sure. Um, and and most of these other claims are seem to be rumors. My friend told me this, or you know, this happened. Or I heard whatever. that, or right. You know, it's, the it's, word it's, word is out that, or the rumor mill has it that. Yeah, those kind of right. Things. Exactly. There's there's not exactly evidence for these things. And and as we've seen across the country in recent years, whenever there is you know something sprawled on a wall or uh, you know nooses hung or something like it, it, it's always a hoax. So, you know, forgive me for not exactly rushing to believe these things when they just always turn out to be hoaxes. From there, we we jump to the solution for what these students perceive to be the problem, which is institutional racism and a, uh, a campus climate that is intimidating to people of color. And the, the statement by the Missouri Student Association president, uh, I'm tired of people invoking the First uh, Amendment when we have a campus here that is so full of oppression and racism uh, and all the rest. I mean, is the solution equal uh, to the problem? No. I, I mean, we, we see what the solutions in, in these protests tend to be, which is witch hunt mentality, mentality, where, you know, any accusation is treated as fact. And if you make an accusation against a named student, then that student gets no due process rights, no chance to defend themselves. They're basically just removed from campus. And, and granted, it hasn't happened with racism, but we saw it with the campus sexual assault protests. So I feel that it's going to be a similar situation where accusations are are taken at face value, defense 
is elusive because there's no way to prove that a crime didn't happen, but the burden of proof gets shifted onto these students. And, I mean, it's just continuing to, to you know, it's just chaos. Well, now, you mentioned one thing in there that I think is critical and is not being talked about a lot, and that is due process. And in these universities, m- many of them now are functioning like kangaroo courts where they can basically pass sentence on one of their students without any proof that they've done anything wrong, that due process is based on the accusation and not the proof. Right, exactly. You don't have to bring evidence anymore. You just have to bring the accusation. And in order, because of the federal government coming down on these schools, as they did with sex assault, I I don't doubt that the federal government will come down on these schools when it comes to racism. So in order to appease the federal government and keep their federal funding, these Mm -hmm. schools are going to have to prove that they're taking the issue seriously. And the only way to prove that is to uh, kick students off campus, even if the accusation is shaky or just downright false. Right. So the the due process guaranteed in the Constitution is not guaranteed on campus. uh, And that really is the the heart of the problem. Now, let me ask you from another angle, where's the Obama administration on all this? Has the Justice Department or any other branch of the Obama administration gotten involved with this uh, goings on at University of Missouri or the other campuses where there are uprisings these days? You know, I haven't heard anything. And that um, that seems odd to me, because we all know that President Obama has been very quick to jump in on issues of race and has been, you know, uh, roundly discredited with, you know, the cases that he jumped in with the Harvard professor calling the police, uh, saying they acted stupidly, and then he had to have the beer summit to make up for it, um, you know, with the Ahmed the clock boy situation. I mean, Obama's very quick to jump in on these, and I really haven't seen any sort of um, statement from them. So they might be holding back for once to actually see what happens. Okay, one more question for you before we let you go. How would you differentiate what's going on on these campuses now to the campus revolts of the 1960s? Well, in the 1960s, there was actual evidence of of problems, of racism, of violence against these um, marginalized groups. But in here, these days, I mean, there's more hoaxes than actual evidence, and yet the hoaxes are being viewed as the evidence and when they're proven as hoaxes and you're called a racist or a rape denier or something like that because you didn't stand with the alleged victims even though they weren't victims and the actual victim was the person who was accused so the evidence right now is just perceived slights rather than actual slights and actual attacks and it seems to me the other difference and the fundamental difference is that the 60s revolts were about freedom of speech seeking freedom of speech, and these revolts are about seeking suppression of speech. Ms. Scow, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on. Ash Scow of the Washington Examiner. Time for a quick break, then we'll come back on the other side with Say What, featuring more on this whole campus uprising sweeping the nation. Plus, we've got Chewing the Fat. Stay right there. Liberty Nation with Tim Donner. This is Liberty Nation with Tim Donner. Say what? Say what? Say what? One more time. Say what? 
Say what? The portion of Liberty Nation where we treat you to some of the most wacky, astonishing, and damnable things uttered by politicians and the chattering class. And we've been talking a lot today about the uprisings on campuses across the nation, the extreme sensitivity of so many students at Yale that they attacked a professor who wrote an email promoting free speech and free thought and the free exchange of ideas in response to a memo from the school's administration instructing students on appropriate costumes for Halloween. But it's the University of Missouri that's ground zero in all this, and you need to hear for yourself some of what's transpired there in order to believe it. Start with the intimidation of student reporters, the press, by a member of the faculty, Melissa Click, a member of the faculty, when some of them tried to document the uh, the uh, demonstration. Are you documenting? What are you? I'm documenting. Okay, well, you, just, you need to get out. You need to get out. This is public property. Yeah, no, that's a really good one. I'm a communication faculty, and I really get that argument. But you need to go. You need to go. You need to go. So please respect these people. I think it's very simple. I, I, I didn't see you respecting that reporter. But that was hardly the end of it. That same faculty member, Melissa Click, actually tried to physically intimidate the reporters. Hi, media. Can I talk to you? No, you need to get out. You need to get out. No, I don't. You need to get out. I actually don't. All right. Hey, who wants to help me get this reporter out of here? I need some muscle over here. (laughs) In one fell swoop, this member of the faculty denies the press from their own campus the right to document demonstrations on public property and then threatens them asking for some muscle to get them out of there and that's not a member that's not that's not another student by the way I remind you again that's a member of the faculty but wait that's not all how about the student body president Brenda Smith Lazama providing a constitutional lesson about freedom of speech and freedom of the press. Not. As student journalists, we cannot approach uh, these types of situations with hostility and with anger because it only escalates the situation. I personally am tired of hearing that First Amendment rights protect students when they are creating a hostile and unsafe learning environment for myself and for other students here. I think that it's important for us to create that distinction and create a, a space where we can all learn from one another and start to create a place of healing rather than a place where uh, we are uh, experiencing a lot of hate like we have in the past. So there you have it. The student body president at the University of Missouri saying, we will limit freedom of speech to the things we want to hear. And we will judge whether the media is friendly or not before we decide whether to permit freedom of the press on the college campus. Now, I can scarcely think of anything more frightening than a whole generation of people prepared to discard the most fundamental protections in the Bill of Rights because they are, in one way or another, aggrieved victims. But let's get off those campus meltdowns for a minute and focus on the presidential race for a bit here. The Republicans held their fourth presidential debate this week. This one was actually a grown-up debate with moderators on the Fox Business Channel who, shockingly, 
were more interested in substance than style, more interested in uncovering what the candidates believe than hurling clever gotcha questions and generating food fights for higher ratings, more interested in the candidates than themselves. Now, there's a change. But it was something said actually a couple of days after the debate that has everyone buzzing. Donald Trump, seeing Ben Carson cutting into his lead atop the field, decided to go scorched earth on the doctor, using Carson's own accounts of violent incidents in his youth as evidence he is essentially dangerous and unfit for office. With all these professional politicians, I'm first, Carson second. And I don't understand it. I really don't understand it. Because he wrote a book, and in the book he said terrible things about himself. He said that he's pathological and that he's got basically pathological disease. If you're pathological, there's no cure for that, folks. If you're a child molester, a sick puppy, you're a child molester, there's no cure for that. This is what it's come to. Donald Trump comparing Ben Carson's self-professed youthful pathology to being a child molester. Uh, this is particularly ugly, even for Trump, but more than that, it's bad politics. See, in order to win the nomination, Trump will ultimately have to draw some of Carson's supporters to himself once Carson, as seems inevitable, falls out of the race or drops out. I can tell you that if I'm a Carson supporter, I would hardly be inclined to switch my allegiance to someone who says I'm supporting the equivalent of a child molester. Politics is about addition, not subtraction. And Trump may have now subtracted the possibility of ever winning over Carson supporters. But we're going to close out this Say What segment with an honest-to-goodness food fight on Fox News between Bill O'Reilly and George Will, who wrote a column criticizing O'Reilly's book about Ronald Reagan, most specifically a memo presented to new chief of staff Howard Baker late in Reagan's presidency that questioned Reagan's ability to continue to function as president. Let the food fight begin. After reading the column, I can say with certainty... George Will libels Bill O'Reilly. We have it in writing that you were supposed to call me and you did not call me. And by writing a provocative column like this, you had an obligation as a journalist to do that. That memo he wrote is the centerpiece of a book. It's a memo that you didn't even ask to try to see from the Reagan Library until after the book was in print. It's a memo that the Reagan Library doesn't have and you should know it doesn't have because the author was not a member of the White House staff. Michael Deaver, do you know Michael Deaver? <laughs> Oh, what, are you, what are you laughing at, Will? Do you deny that that happened? The memo was presented to Howard Baker, who commissioned it. Deal at with Deaver, deal with Deaver, his friend, his close friend, well, as you just described. Deal with that. Explain no. that. The memo was presented to Howard Baker. Howard Baker took one look at it and said to the man who wrote it, this is not the Ronald Reagan I know, and that was the end that was not of the any end influence of the You're memo You're not telling the had. truth. I'm, you are yes, actively misleading the American people. You are You're lying. something of an expert on you actively are, misleading you people. Are, you who began this interview by saying I had a moral obligation to call you before writing about your book, wrote a book without feeling any obligation to talk to Ed Meese, George Schultz, Jim Baker, any of the other people who could and have did I not thesis. talk to them? Because they would have refuted the no, flimsy thesis. Because they you have had. skin in the game. You're a hack. <laughs> All right. So let's 
Let's see if we can sort this out a bit. O'Reilly said Will had a moral obligation to contact him before writing a critical column about him. I have never heard of that standard before, having been in journalism for a few decades now. Uh, He said he didn't speak to the people involved because they have skin in the game. Again, that is confounding at best. It begs the question of of how you know whether the story was true if you don't talk to the principal players involved in it. But most of all, this was Bill O'Reilly in rare form doing what he does best, asking long, windy questions and then aggressively interrupting the answer after about 10 seconds to give his own answer to his own question and insulting his guests in the process, calling George Will a hack. And in the end... Proving what Bill O'Reilly pretty much always proves, that it's not about the story, it's all about him. Quick break, and then we'll return with Chewing the Fat. Liberty Nation with Tim Donner. This is Liberty Nation with Tim Donner. And with that musical flourish, we move seamlessly into the final section of our program entitled Chewing the Fat, where we're joined by constitutional lawyer Scott Cosenza of One Generation Away, found on the web at onegen.org. That's O-N-E-G-E-N dot org, applying America's founding principles to the issues of today. Welcome back, Scott. Thank you, Tim. This is the portion of the program where I tell you how we're all going to hell in a handbasket and uh, the country's in ruins. Well, actually, last week, I think we had the first time in weeks over the, the two, two, first two stories last week were both actually, um, you know, good news for liberty. Yeah. I, I think we've never had more than one in a row before. But, of course, this week, uh, it's all about Missouri. So let's uh, let's talk about this uprising at Mizzou, as it's called, and Yale and a bunch of other campuses. But Missouri is ground zero for the fundamental constitutional questions it raises. Tim, I think maybe I could just go through a quick two parts of the story. Uh, The first part is about Wesleyan University, which is the first sort of university that had a kerfuffle, if you will, about free speech this academic year that kind of crossed the radar of those of us who were paying attention. And that was an op-ed by a man called uh, Brian Staskavage writing for the Wesleyan University newspaper, The Argus. And in that instance, Here's a guy who actually is a diverse viewpoint on the the campus. He is a 30-year-old veteran of the armed services who is a junior and and an avowed conservative. And he wrote an article. He wrote a column critical of the Black Lives Matter group Mm -hmm. and said basically that he, he wasn't okay with them not disavowing the murder of police officers that have been done in their name and so on and so forth. And it was not a particularly vicious uh takedown of them he just you know it was a his opinion about you know mm-hmm. they needed to just kind of disavow these violent acts anyway 
there was much just rendering re- gnashing, gnashing teeth, yes of course yeah. and the the editors of the newspaper actually published a front page apology so say, sort of like know, the president at the university yeah. of missouri who just resigned right. and disappeared well i wanted to bring up the wesleyan case tim because in addition to being first we have to celebrate president michael roth uh of wesleyan university who basically said it's free speech get over it mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. and he's a real hero there mm-hmm. and then we moved to yale of course where um, Nicholas Christakis, I think yes. his name yep. is, well, we who, by the way, earlier. is like mm-hmm. a, you know, a genius guy, right? He's a medical doctor. He's also a Ph.D. in sociology um, who just said, hey, you know, don't worry about somebody else's Halloween costumes. Yeah, yeah, That's what yeah, got exactly. him into all the Can't trouble. We, we can talk about right. this. We can debate. Uh, right. And that, and then, of course, he issued a. Uh, they they sent out. He a, issued an apology, yeah, in but the they face said of, they they sent out a fatwa on him. Right, exactly, yeah, right, yeah. yeah, for daring to stand up for the First Amendment. And then we go to Missouri, where Jonathan Butler, who is a veteran of the Ferguson hunger, or excuse me, the Ferguson riot strike riots, um, enacted a hunger strike to protest. The issues being raised here: freedom of speech. Freedom of the press, because a student reporter, at least one, was harassed and physically, physically assaulted, uh, physically yeah, assaulted I mean, and intimidated. Yes, certainly the, the threat that, yes. that, uh, that two actually both Tim Ty and Mark Shearbecker are the, the two reporters in question. Right. The, uh, a member of the faculty actually calling for, quote, muscle, you know, freedom of speech, freedom of the press and by extension, freedom of assembly. Really, it seems like the entire First Amendment is under assault at the University of Missouri. But they say it's justified because of the hostile environment created on campus. So they have no choice but to abridge people's freedom of speech and freedom of the press in order to maintain order on campus. That's an interesting theory. I think it lacks legal sophistication and will be rejected by the courts. It's the first but... <laughs> time I've ever heard you say something that, that was actually diplomatic. It, what was that? It lacks what? Constant sophistication. sophistication. Yeah, it, it's, it's good. It's yeah. bunk, I think, is okay, uh, how I would refer to it. You. Well, this is what they're doing, Tim. They are basically sort of, um, it's this victim bully thing right so they say well i'm a victim so that i get to be a bully right and i get to have a safe space and the safe space is public space so they're literally just excluding others um often in missouri on the basis of the color of their skin right so if you have pale skin and i have pale skin we can't go to certain places now it's through the looking glass here, Alice, because that used to be called racism, right. and it used to be abhorred by people who were on the left and said, you know, how dare you make qualif- you know, classifications about people's race and treat them differently. But that's exactly what's happening here is they're treating people differently because of the color of their skin. I do want to add, Tim, that Jana Basler and Richard Callahan are also members of the uh, the faculty, okay, and staff, and they also participated in in denying Tim Ty and Mark Shearbecker their First Amendment rights and Fourth Amendment rights uh, as again government employees who intimidated and 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 assaulted these people. And these are student reporters. This is not somebody coming in from out of town or out. Even of though state. that would be I mean, appropriate, you're right. I mean, it's not, a fellow student, right? Okay? Not, not another the, member of the student body. I mean, not yeah. that it would have been any better, perhaps, if they denied right. someone from outside the camp. But to deny their own student reporters yeah. makes you wonder what they would do if someone yeah. came in that really uh, was loaded for bears. So. 
I mean, the University of Missouri and Yale, and we're seeing this now at Ithaca College, my own alma mater, Syracuse, you know, students, protests far and wide across the country. And, you know, there's a tendency to think, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, too, that, oh, my goodness, this is the 1960s coming mm-hmm. home to roost or, or happening again. But as I've pointed out, the fundamental difference is that the 1960s student revolts were all about seeking freedom of speech. Absolutely. And these are about seeking suppression of speech. So actually, oh, and it's the economic opposite. justice uh, for the social, workers on campus for $15 an hour uh, to wipe up the spills in the cafeteria. Meanwhile, EMTs in this country, you know, at, make about that much money. I mean, I it's $31,000 is the annual salary projected out for somebody who makes $15 I mean, an these, hour. These, are, these are college students. Now, you know, somebody without a high school education that says, hey, just give me 15 bucks an hour, maybe they don't understand sure. basic basic well, economics 101 but but i mean these are college students who demand 15 dollars an hour without a thought that by doing so you're going to eliminate jobs it's very simple i think part of the the problem tim is if you analyze melissa click's cv you 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 realize where some of the problem lies where she has been flown to conferences to analyze the twilight series which is a popular vampire based i think uh <laughs> it's a television it's show. Becoming popular, but meanwhile, those kids, shows. those kids really, I mean, we need to get them all a copy of Henry Hazlitt's Economics in one lesson because they don't understand that when they campaign for something like free college right. education. As if it's free. Well, who who pays for something that's free? Free means right. we don't of have course. to pay for it. Yeah. Even worse than that is, is, is seeking the cancellation of student debt, seeking the cancellation of debts that they are legally required mm. and agreed mm-hmm. to under law. Right. And now they want it just all eliminated so that the it would rest, be much more convenient for so them. So the one percent can pay right. uh, well, here's, for everything. Actually, here, Tim, just if we could just dial back both of our outrage for a second and seriously just get into the fundamental economic soundness of the position. Okay, the idea that more money for college, right, produ- produced by the taxpayers, so that's just going to increase tuition. Right. Because that's all it's done in the past. We know for sure. That's why college tuition is so expensive now because of all the federal subsidies. Right. The idea that and and the other thing, too, is it's kind of hilarious when you see these sort of couched in racial terms. What you then have is literally poor black kids who are never going to go to college, who are working at McDonald's for seven dollars and fifty cents an hour. That's why they want free college. but. They're paying then for the white kids, right, who are going to college. It's really, uh, it's an abomination. It is perverse and profoundly disturbing. It's one-step thinking. You know, it's a typical of the left. It's one-step thinking is, well, there are, you know, people aren't making enough money. Just raise the minimum wage. You know, people have too many guns. Just confiscate everybody's guns. And economic illiteracy And economic illiteracy. Now, this is as big as this story has been. It's not the only thing going on that's affecting liberty this week. Time for one more story, and that's the FBI and Carnegie Mellon. And in the category of we can't have that, we cannot have a a free software service on the Internet that allows people to escape uh, the prying eyes of it's those who would It's even worse, them. Tim, than you think. Well, we need the basics of the story. Yes. That, 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 there's, that, a, there's a service called Tor, okay, T-O-R, right. and Tor is a way to browse and surf the Internet anonymously. Now, the thing is, it was developed by the U.S. government, okay, by the NSA and by, I think, the Naval Intelligence Service in order to aid democracy advocates in authoritarian states or 
I should say it was researched and developed in order to protect our own government communications, but it has been furthered and allowed to the public in order to aid democracy advocates in authoritarian states. So the U.S. government actually pays for about 80 percent of the multi-million dollar budget for Tor browsers in order to protect and lock down that privacy so that if we by chance can go to North Korea or China and say, here, democracy advocate, take this off where you can communicate. But no, the FBI, in their thirst for um, drug war victories, this is about the drug war, Tim, have contracted with CMU in order to basically abolish those privacy uh, protections that other factors of the government are supporting with our tax dollars. Going in one way and out the other sort of reminds me of tobacco. While the government subsidizes it, it is also running anti-smoking programs. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Tim. And thank you for joining us. We have come to the conclusion of today's program, but fear not, we'll be back at you next week, same time and same station. Till then. This is Tim Donner saying stand up for liberty, and we'll see you next time on Liberty Nation. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.